Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here at Westbridge, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you watching on our online campus. Uh, thanks for tuning in there. In our parent viewing areas, if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service, uh, that's a great option. Uh, you can participate in the service, and uh, also there's a viewing area in our cafe now as well. So we've got some extra seating out there uh, if that's, an, that's a, another option for you as well. Awesome to have you here with us. If this is your first time, I'm so glad you're here. And uh, man, thrilled that you would take some time out of your Sunday and be a part of it today. And uh, through the summer, we've been in a series called Summer Voice where we've had a lot of different uh, speakers coming in. And today we're kicking off a brand new series called DNA. And uh, this is super important to me because uh, the mission of the church is basically the same mission that it's ever been, uh, it's always been. And every year we do this thing uh, starting now, uh, kind of mid-August leading into the fall where we kind of kick off this series around who we are as a church. What is it that makes us do the things that we do? Why do we do things the way that we do them? And we want to make sure that as we head into a new season, we're all sort of rowing in the same direction, all moving in the same direction, and make sure that we never, ever, ever drift from the original reason that we started this church 16 years ago. And the reason that's so critical is because the mission of Westbridge Church is basically the same that uh, any church has throughout human history. It's people helping people find and follow Jesus. And when you think about that, different churches word that in different ways. Uh, different churches use different phrases to communicate that. But that is literally why every church exists, so that we can introduce people to Jesus and, and, and hopefully people discover the hope and the healing and the love and grace that are offered in Jesus. And then together, we walk in community as we do our best to follow Jesus. And so we just want to be a group of people who are helping other people find Jesus and follow him. And that's the whole mission of the church. Everything we do is about doing those things. And what can happen over time, though, is that as more and more people start to follow Jesus, it adds layers and layers of complexity. And over time, our natural tendency as human beings is simply to try to protect what we've built as opposed to actually staying on mission and risking what has become uh, for the sake of the mission. And so, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot to risk when we started the church 16 years ago. There were 12 of us in our living room. It was not much. It was like, what do you guys think? And they were like, yeah, let's go for it. I was like, all right, let's go. And then here we are 16 years later, and we've got a building, and we've got multiple services, and we've got uh, staff, and we've got all kinds of volunteers, and we've got a budget, and all these different things. And what happens is as the layers of complexity start to grow, it can be so tempting for us to turn inward and go, you know what? We've got to protect what we've built rather than say, nope, let's just continue to risk everything for the sake of the mission. We just want to be people, helping people find and follow Jesus. And that can happen in Westbridge Church if we're not careful, if we're not super intentional, if we're not uh, really purposeful and make sure. And so every year we do this. We take a couple of weeks and we sort of recalibrate and realign and go, who are we as a church? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. And the reason that we're calling this series DNA is because of what DNA is. Now, the scientific definition of DNA is this, uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. I had to look that up. And I also looked up how to pronounce it, and I still can't get it right. <laughs> a self-replicating material that is present in nearly all living organisms and is the main constituent of chromosomes. It is the carrier of genetic information. You're like, oh, thanks, professor. Didn't know I was coming to a science class today. But here's what's amazing. This DNA, is, it makes you who you are. It, it never changes. And yet, because of what DNA is scientifically, we've actually adopted it as a cultural term. 
So the, the cultural definition of DNA is this, the fundamental and distinctive characteristics or qualities of someone or something, especially when regarded as unchangeable. So we've come culturally, because of what it is scientifically, we've said, well, these are the parts of you that are just core to who you are. Just your DNA is like, this is who you are as a person that is unchangeable or as an organization, unchangeable. And so as we continue to grow as a church, there are some things that will change. As we grow as a church, we're, we're adding a third service in a few weeks here. Why? That's a change. Uh, we're changing some of our service times to make more seats for more people. That's a change. Methods constantly change. But what should be unchangeable is the mission of the church. People helping people find and follow Jesus will never change. It's core to who we are. It is a part of our DNA. It is an unchangeable characteristic. And so this series, every year, for some of you, you'll go, this is review. I've heard this before. We do this every year. Yep, we do. And we're going to do it every year. We're going to always keep it in front of us because the tendency when we don't is that we drift off course. We start to turn inward. We start to protect. And when we think about the opportunity that lies before us as a church, I can tell you, I have never been more excited to be the pastor here at Westbridge Church. I mean, I look at what we have just in the next few weeks coming before us and the unbelievable opportunity that we have as a church to help people in our community find and follow Jesus is unbelievable. We, uh, in two weeks, we will send out uh, a mailer to 85,000 households, inviting them to come and check out our new service times. Not 85,000 people, 85,000 addresses that are in a 20-minute uh, drive time of our church. Now think about that. It doesn't always feel like that, but when you combine all of the 20-minute drive time around this church, there are 85,000 households that we will be inviting. And can I tell you something? We're spending money on that. We're putting a lot of time and effort and energy into that, and it's a huge risk. Why would we do that? In uh, just a few weeks here, right after Labor Day, we're adding a third service, and so we're going to shift all of our service times. It's going to be 8 a.m., uh, 9.30, and 11. Why would we do that? That's a huge risk. I mean, we got things going good right now, right? We kind of, we came out of COVID finally and kind of got into a good rhythm, and we're in a good groove, and man, why would we mess with that? That's a huge risk, isn't it? Why would we do that? Uh, we're going to continue to show up week in and week out and serve and give and sacrifice and make sure more and more and more people are able to experience the love and grace of Jesus through Westbridge Church. But that's a huge risk. Why would we continue to do that? Why would we take these risks and spend the money and change our service times and add more volunteers and all these things? Because there is something deep in the DNA of who we are as a church. It's unchangeable, something that has remained and should always remain unchanged since the beginning. And here it is. It's deep in who we are. Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. That's, that's so a part of who we are as a church. That's so a part of what every church should be, is that Jesus is for everybody. And we want to make sure that the message is communicated in everything that we do. And so uh, here's why that matters. Churches over time get comfortable doing certain things in a certain way. So this is how we do things. This is how we operate. And we do this because now that we've gotten comfortable, that kind of makes sense. And I like the way that that works. And we kind of know the routine. And if we don't constantly evaluate the way we're doing things against the mission to make sure it's effective, then over time, we just develop habits that are comfortable for those of us who are already here. And we forget what it's like to be somebody who is approaching a church or faith for the first time. And the wrong message unintentionally gets sent because one of the things we say all the time is like, we always assume guests in the room. We, we don't ever make the assumption that everybody knows everything and everybody's got it all together and everybody has, you know, a, a Bible degree. 
We just assume there's guests in the room. We just assume that there's somebody here who this is their first time and they're a little nervous and they're a little anxious and they're kind of wondering what to expect. And so we just assume that. And that's so important because when you don't do that, here's what happens. The church can unintentionally send some pretty confusing messages. Uh, Here's what some of those messages are that I've experienced in in my life and maybe you've experienced some of these as well. Uh, One of them is this. God's favorite people are introverted thinkers. God really likes the quiet, introverted type. And the church unintentionally has made it feel like, okay, if I'm going to have a a growing faith or a relationship with God, it's kind of this one-size-fits-all approach to spirituality. And as a kid, the message for me was like, hey, if you want to grow spiritually, then it means you're going to have to pray a lot and meditate and spend time in solitude and journal. And I was like, first of all, I mean, I can't tell you how many journals I have where the first page is filled out and the rest of it's empty. (laughs) Secondly, like solitude, like I'm just telling you, I've never had an unexpressed thought in my life. (laughs) It comes in here and it shoots out here. All right. That's just how it works for me. And, and so by the time I was an adult, I started to feel like God was playing favorites. He's like, all right, you know, if you're an introvert with a high IQ and you know, you like to journal then Christianity is right up your alley. But what about those of us who are sort of extroverted, loudmouth, sports-loving dudes who enjoy complex carbohydrate beverages? Is there a spot for me? You know, another confusing message is this. this. And again, it's never intentional, but sometimes this is what comes through in church. Hey, weird things should be normal in church. We all agree that it's weird, but when you're in church, it's fine. It's like, when did that, how did the weird thing not like pass the test, right? So services should be really long. The longer the service is, the more spiritual it was. (laughs) Music should be really boring. The more boring it was, the more spiritual it was. Okay, uh, uh, the the more guilty you feel, the more spiritual it was. You go home, you're just like, man, I just feel so bad about myself. There's just like this sin and that sin and this sin. And you're like, that was a great service. (laughs) It's like, what? That's weird. Hey, that's just a weird thing. The less we understand, the more spiritual it must have been. Man, that was so deep. Did you understand any of that? No. <laughs> but man, it was deep. So deep. You know? Or uh, how about this one? Always make sure to point out the newbies. Uh, this is like a, I don't know where churches got this. They're like, hey, if you're new today, why don't you stand? And it's like, that's the last thing anybody wants to do, you know? The last time my wife and I visited a church, they did that. And they were like, if you're new today, stand. And my wife started to stand up and I like grabbed her thumb. I'm like, don't you dare. <laughs> Dear God. Why do churches do that? And again, it's not intentional. Their heart's in the right place. It's just that when you're looking at something from the inside long enough, you forget what it's like to be on the outside looking in. You just forget. Another confusing message that unintentionally gets communicated in churches is this. We should be against a lot of stuff. Let's just be against a lot of stuff. If we don't agree with it, we're going to boycott it, right? We're going to picket it. We're going to pass out flyers. We're going to take a stand because the community needs to know that we took a stand on this issue. And it's amazing. I can't remember a single time that's ever made a difference in somebody's life. Never made a difference in somebody's life. So the message that unintentionally came through was like this. Hey, if you become like us, you can join us. It'll be great. 
See, while you're embracing your sin and you're voting for political candidates that we don't necessarily endorse and, you know, approve of, and, and, and you're doing some things that, well, I mean, God doesn't really call them sin, but we labeled them as sin to sort of help God out, you know, because we felt the liberty to do that. And once you change your lifestyle and once you kind of look like us and talk like us and dress like us, then you can join us. You're going to love it. <laughs> and the message that came through was like, once you become like us, you can join us. And the mission of the church was to reach people. The problem is we just didn't like any of them. That's a big problem. And yet here's the message that Jesus had and has such a different tone to it. Listen to the words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew. He says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Such a different tone, isn't it? Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. So what happened? How did we shift from this message of Jesus that says, come to me, those of you who carry heavy burdens? And can I be honest with you? I don't know very many people who don't carry heavy burdens. And here's Jesus. And he just goes, hey, I know you've got these heavy burdens that you carry. Just bring them to me. Like, I want to help you. I want to give you rest for your soul. I want to give you a life that is life to the fullest. I want you to experience the life that is truly life. So come to me. Bring all that to me. Come as you are. And when did we go from that to become like us and then you can join us? What happened? Well, somewhere along the way, the message that, again, I think it's very unintentional, but what happens is churches don't stop and take stock of where they're at and who they're becoming. They don't have these kind of conversations. And what happens is eventually they start to just turn inward. They drift off course from their original mission. And what, what unintentionally gets communicated is this. Well, church is for church people. It's like, duh. Like, church is for church people. And if anybody's driving around here, you know, driving around St. Michael this morning or our area, and, and they see our church, and they go, oh, there's, there's the uh, church with all the church people, then we've done a terrible job getting our message out. Because if the church is for church people, then that means Christianity is for church people. And if Christianity is for church people, then that means that Jesus came for church people. And when you look at the life and teachings of Jesus, nothing could be further from the truth. In, in fact, here's what we actually, this is something we've got to hold on to as a church. Here's, here's some thoughts around this. Number one, uh, I, here's what I believe. People genuinely want to connect with God. I think people, I think people genuinely want to connect with God. When I look at the, the people who I talk to and the people I come across and neighbors and friends, and uh, when I talk to people, nobody's like, I just, man, you know what? I just hate, I hate God. That Jesus guy, oh man, I just hate him. All this like, peace and love and sacrifice. It's not for me. I, I never met anybody who has a problem sincerely with Jesus. In fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene in the first century, he seemed to gravitate towards those who were the non-church people, the non-religious people, and people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And he liked them back. And they were drawn to him and he was drawn to them. And Jesus invited people to follow him who were fishermen and tax collectors and political activists and prostitutes and Detroit Lions fans. I mean, it's like the lowest of the low. It was unbelievable. And this is what Jesus had to say about himself and why he came. He actually said this, the son of man, that's what Jesus is making a reference about himself. It's a title they understood and he's referencing himself. He says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, what does that mean? Lost is not a, like, 
Man, I don't know where I'm at. The GPS isn't working in here, right? Lost is not a, a GPS coordinate. It's not geographically lost. Lost means this. In their context, I don't know where I stand with God. There's a group of people and they go, I don't know where I stand with God. I feel like God is upset with me or God is angry with me or maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe God is just distant. Maybe God is just like, he's busy sort of running the cosmos and doesn't have time to be concerned with what's going on in my life. And so in that sense, the word that Jesus used to describe them was lost because they didn't know where they stood with their creator. And Jesus said, that's who I've come for. I've come for people who don't know where they stand with God. So in that sense, they're lost. And when Jesus came into the world, he was irresistible and people flocked to him and they flocked to his message in masses because he helped them connect with God in a way that nobody else ever had. And so people want to connect with God. And I think it's true of people today. The people I talk to, if there's a way for them to genuinely connect with the hope found in Jesus, they want that. And yet, here's what we're up against. As a, as a church in the 21st century, here's what we're up against. See, the church unintentionally creates barriers to God. We do this. The church universal does this. It's never on purpose. It's never intentional. But here's the problem that we face. Once we're the ones on the inside, once you're already here and you kind of understand how things go and you kind of understand like, okay, I, I know where to park and I know where to check in the kids and, uh, you know, I, I, I know the flow. I, I know where to find a seat. I know where to get the coffee. I'm on the inside. I kind of know how things go generally. And, you know, at a certain point we stood and at a certain point we sat. And that's kind of our liturgy here at Westbridge Church. And once you know the flow, you're on the inside. What, ten what happens is uh, there's this tendency to make it all about us again. Hey, I like, I like this. I like what's going on here. And I like the way we do things. I don't, don't change it up. I'm comfortable. And I'll be honest with you, this isn't a 21st century issue. This is a first century issue because it's a human issue. It's a people issue. And so just to kind of set things up for us today, think about this. It's important to know when, when people first started following Jesus in the first century, everybody was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. He primarily taught to a Jewish audience. And so most of Jesus' followers early on were Jewish people. And they all shared the same customs. They all grew up going to synagogue and understanding that that was a good thing. They all grew up speaking the same language. They all grew up eating kosher. They all grew up uh, following the, the writings of the law and the prophets. Uh, they memorized the Torah, the books of the Old Testament, what we call the Hebrew scriptures, the law of Moses. And so they all had this upbringing and this background. And they, they all then saw, okay, Jesus he died and he rose from the dead. We saw him rise from the dead. So now we're going to put our faith in Jesus. But we're still going to practice Judaism. Or we're going to attach our faith in Jesus on top of our Judaism. And it worked. But what happened was that in the early days of the church, there was this explosion of growth. And so lots and lots and lots of people started to follow Jesus. And the problem is some of them, some of these new Christians, these new believers in Jesus weren't Jewish. They were what the scriptures called Gentile. It's just another word for anybody who's not Jewish. And all of a sudden, many of the key Christian leaders who all, were all Jewish got together and decided, okay, well, these people are coming to faith in Jesus, but we're Jewish. We follow the law of Moses. We eat kosher. We do these certain things. So if you're going to follow Jesus, first you've got to convert to Judaism, and then you'll be allowed to follow Jesus because that's how it worked for us, so that's how it's got to work for you. And so you have to embrace our customs and our traditions and our way of doing things. And all of a sudden, there was a formula. All of a sudden, the insiders, because, you know, they know the words to all the songs and they know when to sit and when to stand and they know what to wear to church and, you know, they're making it difficult for the outsiders to become followers of Jesus. 
And all of a sudden, it turns into this us versus them mentality. And it all comes to a head in this city called Antioch, where a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas, they're teaching and they're preaching. And this church is growing like crazy. And people are coming to faith in God, but they're all Gentiles. And so here's where we pick up the story. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, it wasn't long before some Jews showed up from Judea insisting that everyone be circumcised. Now, here's why. Circumcision was a part of being Jewish. Now, that just meant that, okay, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to have a minor operation. No big deal, right? Just a small operation. Snip, snip. Here's what they said. If you're not circumcised in the Mosaic fashion, you can't be saved. And Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet at once in fierce protest. And the church decided to resolve the matter by sending Paul, Barnabas, and a few others to put it before the apostles and leaders in Jerusalem. So they're going, they travel up to Antioch and they go, whoa, 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 we've got all these people who are coming to faith in Jesus. But guys, first you got you to become Jewish first because that's how it worked for us. That's how it's going to work for you. And uh, so we've got a doctor in the, you know, in the lobby over here. And uh, when you guys are ready, yeah, the whole first membership class, all women. No guy wanted to join that church. That's a pretty high standard for salvation, isn't it? And Jesus didn't say that. But it was just such a big part of Jewish heritage that their sort of religious Jews just felt like, well, it's, this is how, this is what it looked like for us, what it looked like for you. And the amazing thing is their hearts were actually in the right place. They just misunderstood the message of Jesus. And unintentionally, they started to create barriers to who Jesus is. And we laugh at that now. We think, how stupid is that, that you would think that someone needs an operation to become a Christian? And yet we, we do the exact same thing in various different ways. And so... They arrive in uh, Jerusalem, and here, here's what we read, verse 2. Paul and Barnabas, uh, when they got to Jerusalem, uh, here we go. When they got to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were graciously received by the whole church, including the apostles and leaders. They reported on their recent journey and how God had used them to open things up to the outsiders. Think about that. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. They've got to follow the law of Moses. They've got to do this, right? This is, this is what it looks like. Their lives are being changed. What's happening is that their hearts are being changed. Their lives are being changed. So they have this incredible church going on, and people are coming to faith in Jesus, and they're going, well, wait a second. Paul and Barnabas get upset. Of course they do. Of course they get upset. Of course they're fired up. Can you imagine the emotion around this? Paul and Barnabas have people who are coming to their church. Their hearts are being opened to Jesus for the first time. They're, they're discovering hope that they've never experienced before. They are leaning into the grace that they receive in Jesus. The message is, come as you are. You don't have to change anything because Jesus in his work on the cross and his, his death and resurrection has made you right in, the, in God's eyes. You were once lost, meaning you didn't know where you stood with God, but I'm telling you now you're found. And people are being, just flocking to this message. And they're hearing stories. A, a man who treated his wife harshly is now filled with compassion and actually begins to honor her the way that Jesus describes a woman who had been wronged it says, you know what, I'm no longer going to hold on to the bitterness of those who have wronged me, but instead I'm going to extend forgiveness because I recognize Jesus has forgiven me. Because of his forgiveness towards me, I can't withhold forgiveness from others. 
You have a, a, a father who decides to, you know, put his family ahead of his career because of God's grace. Someone who's a sordid past who finally finds this place of community without judgment. And suddenly you've got some Yahoo in the back going, yeah, but have they been snipped? I mean, this, is, this matters. You can imagine how emotional, how charged up and fired up that would make Paul and Barnabas. You might say, well, that sounds ridiculous. And you'd be right. But they were so insistent that they had to call this huge meeting and sort it all out. And so here, here's what we read. Now, when, when they got to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were graciously received by the whole church, including the apostles and leaders. They reported on their recent journey and how God had used them to open things up to the outsiders. Think about that. God used them. He, he opened things up to the outsiders. So they're telling these stories. And Gentiles are coming to faith. And it's, it's amazing. Gentiles are coming to faith. And, and they continue. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. They're just holding on to this thing. So this really religious group of leaders who are Jews, they became Christians, but they're still very religious in the way that they practice. They're followers of Jesus, but they're still holding on to their Jewish tradition. They're still holding on to the way things worked for them when they were growing up. And they're basically saying anyone who wants to put their faith in Jesus must first become Jewish and embrace Jewish customs and traditions. And all of a sudden, there is this huge obstacle for people that want to experience the grace of Jesus. And the crazy thing is, it wasn't an obstacle that comes from God, and it wasn't an obstacle that comes from culture. It was a barrier that was created by the church itself. And for some of you, that's your story. That describes your faith journey completely. Because somewhere deep inside, you recognize, okay, there's a creator, there's a God, and I want to connect with God because I think, I think everything I've ever heard about Jesus, the person of Jesus, is that he can provide hope, that he can provide some healing, that he can provide a purpose in my life, that, that he loves me just as I am. But then you showed up to a church, and the church got in the way. And it wasn't that you had a problem with Jesus. It's that the church unintentionally created barriers as you were exploring who Jesus was. You got divorced. And there were a couple of people who just made it their mission to make sure that you felt unwelcome. Or maybe uh, you had an abortion and all anybody could do was tell you how bad you were. Maybe uh, you showed up to church and everyone loved you, and, but then they found out you were gay and all they could do was focus on your sexuality instead of who you are as a person. Maybe you grew up in church and you had lots of friends and it was a great upbringing, but then you got pregnant before you got married and all of a sudden there was a distance felt. And nobody said anything, but you just knew you were on the outside. Maybe you showed up to a church and it was obvious that, man, if you didn't have a Bible degree, you weren't going to understand anything. If you weren't fluent in Hebrew and Greek, this was going to fly over your head. Maybe you showed up and you started expressing doubts and questions and started asking. And, and the answer that you got wasn't, hey, let's walk through that together. And in community, let's answer some of your doubts and some of your questions. The answer was just, hey, faith means certainty. So stop asking questions. Just, just trust. Just believe. And so you were just instructed to shut off your mind and blindly believe. See, it's so easy. It's so tempting for those of us who are already on the inside to create standards that we've already attained. But we must never forget, Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. I got an email from someone one time saying, hey, I just want you to know somebody was wearing something inappropriate at church. And I was like, oh, was it me? <laughs> I just, I wasn't sure. I had dressed pretty casual. And 
And the funny thing is, when we send out this mailer, one of the, one of the sections says, uh, you know, what should I wear? And our, our response is, wear whatever you want, just please wear something. That's it. That's the dress code. When we first started the church, somebody, uh, somebody who was a, a part of our church early on, I think one of their parents came to visit, and afterwards she kind of pulled me aside and she said, you know, your style of communication is really not suited for a church. It's, it's really probably much better in a smoke-filled comedy club. And I said, you really think I got a shot in comedy? <laughs> oh, thank you. It's the nicest thing anyone's ever said. See, this problem didn't start in 2006 when we started the church. It didn't start in 2020 because of COVID. This started way back in the first century because we can't make it too easy. We can't make it too accessible. So let's come up with a list of rules that reflect our upbringing and, and our background, and let's make sure that we protect our preferences. It's a lot like this ladder. See, uh, when most people walk into a church, they want to connect with God. They're, they're going to a church because there's something in them that is drawing them to God. It's what God does. God's Holy Spirit draws people. It's why Jesus was so irresistible when Jesus was on the earth. People wanted to be around Jesus. There was something about Jesus that made him irresistible. He was so attractive, not physically, but people were attracted to him. They wanted to be around him. What was it that, what was it that this Jesus had that he was connecting people to God in a way they'd never connected before? And people just flocked to his message. And he's saying, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest for your soul. You, you can take my yoke upon you. It's easy to carry. I will teach you. Just follow me. Trust me. And so people go out on a limb and they take a risk and they show up to a church. And oftentimes what happens unintentionally is that um, the, they, they look at and they go, well, these are the, pe- these are the church people. They're, they're, they're up here. They're at the top rungs of the ladder. And, and they walk and they think, man, I, I'd love that because I, I see some of these people. Some of these people are my neighbors. I've gotten to know them. Some of these people are uh, my uh, coworkers. I've gotten to know them. I've got some family members who follow Jesus and they're part of this church and and man, when I see their life, it's like they pray and it seems like they have a real connection with God. And I want that. And um, I see them go through incredibly difficult things in their life. But, but there's something bigger than themselves that seems to keep them grounded. Even when they experience the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or uh, tension and, and, and trouble in relationships in their family or in their friends, and somehow they're able to navigate that. They're grounded to something that's bigger than themselves that, that gives them the hope that even in the midst of what seems like really difficult circumstances, they're able to make it through. And man, I see that in them and I want that. And it seems like they have a, a faith that carries them through, and man, that, I want that. And they see, what they see is Jesus in people. But what unintentionally gets communicated is that those are these people. And then they show up to church, and, and what happens is like, man, I, I would love that, but I don't know how to get there because unintentionally, the church does this. Well, that rung is missing. And, uh, you know, we, we gotta just, we gotta, pull these rungs out because th- these are the spiritual people. And, and people, people unintentionally, remember, none of this is on purpose, but what happens is over time as we drift, we go, okay, well, people are showing up to a church and they're like, these must be the church people. And, and, and I, actually, I actually am attracted to the Jesus thing that I see in them and I would love to get there, but I show up to your church and the gap is too big. There's no bottom rungs. What about a guy like me? What about a girl like me? How do, how do we get there? Because I, I don't have the experience. I don't have the church background. I didn't grow up that way. I don't know where to find Ephesians. 
So, so how do I get there? And unintentionally, this is why we do this every year, because unintentionally what happens is if we're not careful, we will just start to remove the rungs from the ladder because we're already here. We already know everything. We, right, right? Like we know how to sing the songs. We, we know how to check in our kids. We know where the coffee is. And we forget what it's like to be somebody showing up for the first time and going, okay, I'm kind of nervous about this whole church thing. And, and if there's no bottom rungs on the ladder, then here's what ends up happening. Somebody goes, well, I guess church just isn't for me. And if church isn't for me, I guess God's not for me. I guess this God thing isn't for me. Because every, everybody else knows what to do and they know what to say and they know, you know what to sing and where to go and how it all works. So I guess I'll just try to figure out this God thing on my own. Because it's too hard and there's not a starting point. And the Pharisees, they'd go, well, that's too bad. Good luck. And we go, that's crazy. But churches do that today all the time. From things like, well, you got to read the King James Version only. That's the only version that counts. That was the one written in 1611. That's the one that counts. Uh, you need to read the King James Version. You shouldn't ask so many questions. I can't believe you're divorced. You're a single parent. What's that all about? And you shouldn't, and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't, and you should always, you should always, you should always, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not. And in the midst of all this, Peter makes this incredible argument. Peter is one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends and followers, and, and he's watching what's going on in this council in Jerusalem as they're trying to decide, what do we do with these people who are coming to faith in Jesus, but they're not Jewish? He stands up in the middle of this, and he says this, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Peter says, guys, we're Jewish, and we didn't keep the Jewish law very well. Like, we couldn't even keep it. Why are we going to put a burden on them that we ourselves couldn't even keep? It's, you're standing in opposition to God. I know you've got some preferences because that's how you grew up, and that's fine. You can have preferences. But when you put your preferences above the needs of people who are far from Jesus, you're actually standing in opposition to what God is doing. And I don't think you want to stand in opposition to God. You know how this shows up in a modern-day church? It's just our preferences. Our preferences. This is what makes me comfortable, so this is how we should do things. I like this. I, I like the way we do this. And it starts to show up like this. Man, I, I, I wish the service wasn't so long, I, or I wish it was a little shorter. You know, I wish the music wasn't so loud, or I wish they'd turn it up a little. I wish we did more hymns. I wish they did more songs we all know. Well, who's we? It's someone's first time every week. And by the way, the reason that the music is loud, a couple of reasons. Number one, you sing like a goat. Okay? And... Just, we don't want to put the people around you through that, okay? So, so you can just belt it out of the top of your lungs and no one will know. And also, if, if you're like, man, I really love quiet church organ music. Awesome. There are tons of options for that around here. There's not a lot of options for people who like, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, Jesus rock worship. But it's a preference. That's not central to who we are as a church. It's a preference. But we're, we just always assume there's guests in the room. 
And so we just want to go, what, what's, going to make, what's going to make it so that people want to be a part of it, so that they're drawn to Jesus? And can we introduce people to Jesus, and then can we get out of the way? It shows up, it's, our preferences show up over and over again in things like, you know, oh, three services, oh man, the first one's going to be, and oh, this messes up my schedule. It, when we think about the speaker, like these are, these are some of the thoughts that go through our minds if we're honest with each other, right? It's like, well, all right, preacher, I want you to be vulnerable, Okay. I love when you're vulnerable and honest and personal, but not too personal, okay? This isn't a therapy session, all right? And, and also, we need lots of Bible in depth, but at the same time, it has to relate to what's happening, you know, in, in our lives. And, and say it in such a way that the first-time guests can understand. That's important, but don't make it political and use humor and make it funny, but not too funny, okay? You're not a comedian. And also, you know, mix it up. Try new things. That's always great. And, and don't get stuck in a rut, but at the same time, be consistent. And, uh, and talk about the struggles you've overcome, but not too much because that's depressing for the rest of us. And tell us stories about your family, but not too many because that gets a little creepy. And, and just be vulnerable and honest and personal. No problem. <laughs> it's preferences. And it's, we all have preferences. That's, that's human. But it's one thing to have preferences, and it's another thing to demand that our preferences get met over the needs of people who are far from Jesus. And I'm just telling you, I know this is true about the 85,000 households that we're sending invitations to. People want to connect with God. We just sometimes allow our preferences to remove the bottom rungs from the ladder. And I'm just telling you, when we allow our preferences to take priority over the ability to help people connect with God, we're actually standing in opposition to God and what he wants to do. Because he wants people to be drawn to him. And so Peter, Peter finishes this speech. He goes, guys, don't stand in opposition to what God's doing. He's bringing people to himself. Let's go. And then James, who happens to be the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, everybody's kind of made their arguments. And then he stands up and he makes his final decision. And what he says is the reason we exist as a church. This verse is painted on the center beam of this building up there in paint so that we never forget it. Here's what James says. He says, so my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Hey, guys, I got an idea. If people are turning to God, let's just not make it difficult for them. Like, this is already happening. People are turning to God. So all we got to do is just get out of the way. Let's introduce people to Jesus. Let's let Jesus do what Jesus does, and then let's get out of the way. If people are turning to God, let's not make it difficult for them. Hey, I know. Let's put all the rungs back on the ladder. Let's make sure that everybody has an opportunity through our words, let's communicate through our words and through our actions that they don't have to be perfect, that there's a starting place, and that Jesus is for everybody. And here's what they concluded and what still holds true for us today. See, we always, always must sacrifice our preferences to make the message of Jesus accessible to everybody. James says, guys, I know you got some preferences, but my decision is that we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. So let's set your preferences aside to make sure that Jesus is accessible to everybody. And the only thing standing in the way of people experiencing the love of Jesus is our own preferences, our comfort, our experiences. And one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of what I did with all of the energy and whatever resources and whatever influence and whatever time that I had and what he entrusted to me. And here's what I don't want to say. Well, we probably could have shared the message of Jesus with more people, but I didn't really want to speak three times every weekend. <laughs> Ugh. I mean, we got a good thing going here, right? Two services and they're filling up and I mean, it's good. We're in a, we're in a groove. Why would, we, why would we spend that much money? Why would we, you know, have to, now we've got to mobilize a whole other set of volunteers for a third service. Why would we put ourselves through that? That is not the, the, the story that I want to tell. 
This story in Acts 15 took place within the lifetime of the followers of Jesus. These are guys who saw Jesus rise from the dead. It's 20 years later, and they're already mixed up again. It's amazing. And throughout church history, this has been our biggest problem as a church, the church universal. There's this tendency to prioritize comfort over risk. To say, okay, we're comfortable now, so now let's protect what we have instead of risking it all for the sake of the mission. And I'm just telling you, we cannot drift towards that as a church. We will always risk it all for the sake of the mission. I I would rather that we take such huge risks that this church just implodes. We just go out in a blaze of glory. (laughs) Than sit here comfortably and die over the next decade. See, the, the church throughout human history, just can't seem to figure out how we got to constantly recalibrate. And when we don't, what happens is things like the Crusades, where we, where we put the cross on a, on a shield and we went into war to take back Jerusalem and killed people in the name of Jesus. And the symbol of self-sacrificial love became a symbol of violence. When we, when we don't take stock and make sure we're recalibrated and realigned and stick to the mission, you get things like the Spanish Inquisition, where all the Jews are kicked out of Spain because they're going to dilute and pollute the real Christians. And all of a sudden, you, you get into the 1500s and you get this thing called the Reformation, and this guy named Martin Luther comes along and he goes, whoa, 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 what's going on? You guys are creating all these rules and regulations. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And like a gazillion people followed him because the message was simple. And then 100 years later, it's all complicated again. Because throughout history, the church can't seem to remember Jesus came to build bridges, not walls. Came to reach people, not just keep people. And I don't want to lead a church like that, and I I don't think you want to be a part of one. I'm going to give my life to create a church where we work hard, where we sacrifice our preferences to make sure that all the bottom rungs are on the ladder. At one point, there were some people complaining. They were saying, man, Jesus just hangs out with the non-church people all the time. What's going on? And Jesus overhears it, and I love this. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. I love that interpretation. I love that, uh, that translation is from the message. And here's what that means. Guys, as a church, we will always be a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And so if you're looking to come here and get your preferences met because you're following Jesus, can I just tell you something? You're already going to heaven. And that's great. Jesus said, I've come for the people who are lost, meaning they don't know where they stand with God. And so as a church, we made this commitment early on. It's It's a part of our DNA. It's unchangeable that we will always be more interested in reaching people than just trying to keep people. We're always going to be, we're always going to err towards grace. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. In order to do that, we need to remember that the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. And they will never know that God sacrificed for them if we won't sacrifice for them. And so I'm, I'm calling us as a church to just stay focused, stay on mission, because we've got some opportunities in the next several weeks and months to make a bigger impact in our community than we ever have before. And we will be more devoted to reaching people than to keeping people. We will be more devoted to making a difference than to just making a point. The message of Jesus is a message of grace. We will always err on the side of grace, and that doesn't happen by accident. It requires every one of us who are followers of Jesus to say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my preferences. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy, my resources, my influence, everything that I got towards this mission of building something that is bigger than myself. That's what we're doing. So let's be the church that puts all the bottom rungs back on the ladder.
Let's be the church that builds bridges and not walls. Let's be the church that is so focused on searchlights and not security lights. Let's be the church that is so filled with grace that it bleeds its way into everything that we do. Let's sacrifice together to make the message of Jesus accessible for everybody because Jesus is for everybody. Man, if you're here today and you're watching online and you've never heard it put in these terms and you go, man, I've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, you need to know this. God sent Jesus into the world for you. Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That means death is not the end and you've been invited to be a part of God's family. And that invitation is not conditional on A, B, and C and, you know, do these things and then you're in. You don't earn your way in. You don't behave your way in. It is an invitation that's been extended by the God who created you and loves you. And if you've never said yes to that, you can say yes today. Just agree with this simple prayer as we close today. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times where I know I've walked away from you, but I'm so grateful that you never walked away from me. You keep pursuing me and moving in my direction. And so I want to say yes to your invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then, and then help me to, to trust you and to follow you in the way that I live my life as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who are called Westbridge Church home. Uh, you, you are calling us to set aside our preferences for the sake of people who are far from you. So may we be a group of people collectively who set aside our preferences to make sure every rung is on the ladder so that people can come as they are and experience the love and the grace and the hope that are found in Jesus. We thank you. We commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.